my biggest fear is becoming fat. Everything that I do is so that hopefully I'm never, I'm never fat. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Teams, where there's a team, there's a way. Thanks for being with us for another episode of Half Forgotten History. This season's all about the draft and everybody's unique journey to get there. And this week's guest is a guy who is the only person ever to go undrafted in the NFL and claim later on to be the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Longtime NFL star linebacker James Harrison is with us. James, thanks for being with us. How are you, man? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, as a as a token of appreciation, I have a participation trophy here for you because I know you know, you know, know front, like, participation trophy. Like. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right. So a little icebreaker here. Just wanted to know I had it for you, but I knew you'd turn it down. Um, your, your, your journey is really incredible. I, I think people see you as the guy you were in the big part of that Steelers defense for so many years and don't quite understand what it took for you to get there. Mm-hmm. As I said, you went undrafted out of Kent State. You had to walk on at Kent State after some scholarships were rescinded at high school. So it feels like every step of the way, you had to prove yourself over and over again. How motivating or draining was that when it just kept presenting itself time and time again? To, to be honest with you, my troubles that I had early on, like you know, uh, high school and, and, and college, that was my own doing. I got into some trouble my senior year in high school. So I was suspended my first two games in my high school, uh, uh, my senior year, sorry. And then I was suspended my last game of my senior year. And then after that, I was facing six months in jail for assault. Um, it was a whole little thing, but it ended up from a BB gun situation, which right. they actually turned that into something big. Like they started calling that dumb stuff BB gate. But it was, it was really um, like, I was self-destructing. I was I wasn't I wasn't helping myself. Even my first couple of years pro, you know, I got in there and I thought it was going to come to me, you know, easy as it did in college and it didn't. Like I, you know, I was playing in a defense that, you know, literally took you, you know, probably two years before you had a good grasp on what it is that you were doing. You know, Dick Ravol's defense is complicated. You know, emotion can send you from blitzing to actually covering somebody man to man, you know, in a true fire zone defense. Um so a lot of it was my own doing. And then when it came to where it was no longer my own doing, I went and, you know, I got myself together. I started, you know, treating it as a profession and, and putting in the time that I needed to, you know, it became more motivating because now I know it was no longer me. It was outside sources. I couldn't control that. All I could control is what I did. So right. it made me have to go out there and do more and more as far as, you know, um, you know, working out, learning the system, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. And for folks that don't know, you had offers, scholarships at Ohio State, Notre Dame, Nebraska, yeah. and those went away because of the BB Gate situation. So you mm-hmm. had to walk on at Kent State. Yep. How quickly when you walked on at Kent State, did the coaches realize, yeah, he can play? So this is another story. <laughs> so my head coach at Kent ended up being Dean Pease, yeah. who was the actual uh, D coordinator at that time that was recruiting me for Michigan State. And he ended up coming over being a head coach. Well, in between that time that he came over, I was propped. So I actually had to walk on, had to pay my first year of school. And I messed that up, of course, because this was early on. And then I finally got it together the next year. And I thought if I was there, you know, I would get to play the next year. And that wasn't the case. You got to have degree progress. 
So right. the next year I got myself together, I made the Dean's list, I got degree progress, all that. And um, I ended up uh, walking on and my actual guy I played with, his father was my teammate in high school. And he ended up going to Kent and he ended up talking to coach and he was like, yo, um, your best player uh, in the school ain't even on the football team. So that ended up in, you know, me walking on at Kent. I got on there, dude, I was, I was horrible. I hadn't did nothing in like two years. So I went from 190 at high school, my senior year, to the next time I was able to play, I was 270. Oh. The first three snaps, I was dogging them. And after that, <laughs> That went downhill and it went downhill fast. But my first, you know, uh, we did our spring ball. So after right. spring ball, I was able to earn my scholarship back. You know, they saw that I was able to do a little bit of something and they, uh, you know, they offered me a full scholarship and that was actually, you know, Coach P's. Right. So I only got to play three years. So it took me a good part of almost two years to get like back into real shape. And I was, by the time I got back into shape, I was 232. And I was about six and a half percent body fat. So it took a it, it took a while to get back to where I where I should be. <laughs> the reserves weren't there for those first four snaps, clearly. But the funny thing about your your collegiate career, your last game was against Miami of Ohio. Mm -hmm. And the I think the one of the last plays of the game, you sacked who would be your future teammate, Ben Roethlisberger, and Man, forced a fumble that sealed the win. I sacked Ben five times a game. <laughs> I, got, I got to him five times that game. He said he credits himself with me, you know, making it to the league because of that game. So yeah, that was a, it was a, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. And your senior year was great. You, you had unbelievable stats. What were your expectations going into the 2002 draft? What were you hearing about what might or might not happen with you? Uh, total honesty with you. I wasn't yeah. thinking about the draft. Really? No, I was, it, it, came my senior year that it was like teams that wanted to work you out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they want to work me out. You know, it was the same thing in high school. I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm good enough to go play college there. I'm like, I'm just looking at it as a chance to go play, you know, play some more ball because I like playing ball. And then, you know, in college, it was the same thing. It was my senior year. They were like, there's some teams want to work you out. I'm like, Okay, cool. So that means I got a, yeah, you got a chance to go play, you know, you got a chance to go play some uh, some college ball. Um, I wasn't looking at the draft, you know, I didn't go to the combine, I didn't get invited to the combine or anything like that. And like when they called me to uh, pick me up for, you know, a free agent signing, I don't even remember, it wasn't nothing big. I wasn't sitting there watching anything, doing anything. I think I might've been out with friends or something. And uh, agent was like, hey, Pittsburgh wants to pick you up. And then what it, what it came down to, it was actually a a, a package deal. <laughs> so they needed oh, yeah? a linebacker. And the agent that I was with at that time happened to have me. And the guy that they wanted is who they originally called him about. And he was, you know, it was like, well, hell, you got like, got another linebacker if you need one. It's like, all right, cool, we'll take it. So, so you were an add-on, basically, to yeah, the Yeah, I was the package add-on, yeah. You were the plus one. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, did the other guy make it? Did the other guy stick around? No. Nah. <laughs> Good plus one then. Yeah. Um, so were you, were, were you disappointed that you weren't drafted or you weren't even thinking about it? I mean, what, what was your what was your mindset if you weren't going to be playing pro ball? I wasn't, 
hell, get a job like everybody else, you know, work a regular nine to five. You know, it wasn't a big deal if I didn't make it. I wasn't, my, my goal wasn't to make it. I didn't start, I wasn't one of those people that started off as a kid, like, I want to play NFL football. You know, yeah. it was, my dude called me when I was like 10. He's like, you want to go play football? I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. I thought we was going out in the street. He's like, no, 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 this organized football. Yeah. So I'm like, what's that? And like, it's like, it's on a team with pads and all that. I'm like, okay, got to ask my, you know, got to ask my dad. So my dad, you know, he was like, cool. But my mom, she was the one we had to sit there and talk to. My dad basically had to, you know, coerce her into being like, yeah, it's okay. He'll be fine. You know, she always wear, oh, my baby, they going to hurt my baby, all this other stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, but everything really led from just like, okay, I get to play more ball, you know? Yeah. And then it was like, damn, I, I can actually make a living playing ball, you know? And that took a while, too, because you were signed by Pittsburgh, but you were cut, I think, three times by the Steelers and another two times by Baltimore. I was cut yet I was four times by the Steelers and once by Baltimore. Right. So five times a guy who would end up being a future defensive player of the year was told, yeah, we don't have a spot for you on our roster. How difficult was that to hear time and time again? I don't really like wear my emotions on my sleeve, you know what I'm saying? So when they told me, it was just like, all right, cool, you know, whatever, move on, yeah. you know, do something else. If this don't work out, um, you know, I'll just get a regular job like everybody else. You know, I was in between, uh, it was 2003. I had just got released by uh, Pittsburgh and um, the agent I had at that time was kind of garbage. But Baltimore was looking for me to pick me up for like three, four weeks when I finally got with my new agent. And they were like, well, we want you to do NFL Europe. So I had to do NFL Europe. Ryan Fire? Europe. Yeah, Ryan Fire. Came back from NFL Europe. And um, they had me there the first week. I didn't practice. I'm like, eh, I don't know why they ain't practicing me, but eh, whatever, I don't care. The next week they released me. And uh, Ozzy called me in. He was like, yo, we're releasing you. Um, we need to pick up a tight end. You know, we're down. And... Uh, Daniel Wilcox was actually who they picked up. Oh, yeah. He played with me at Ryan Fire. So as I'm driving home from Baltimore back to Ohio, uh, he's like, hey, I got some good news. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I'm about to be there in Baltimore with you. I'm like, no, you ain't. He's like, why? <laughs> I said, they cut me to pick you up. He's like, you lying? I'm like, I swear. He just told me that's picking up a tight end. <laughs> so, you know, that, that happened. And then... It was in between after that, I was like, you know what? If I get another shot, then I'm gonna go ahead and I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna give everything I got. And you know, if it don't work, it ain't meant to be, you know, this is not God's plan for me. So Clark Hagens ended up breaking his hand a week before training camp and they called me. And were like, hey, we need you in. Clark broke his hand. So in my mind, I'm already like, I know they're not gonna keep me, okay? Right. They just need an extra body. I'm cool with that. But it's going to give me an opportunity in these preseason games to put out tape to 31 other teams that haven't, you know, that, that may not have a chance to see any tape that I was in. This will give me an opportunity. So I was going in there like, this is my audition. So when I came in, I sat down, I learned the game, I learned my positions. I played inside linebacker, I played uh, both insides, I played right hand, left outside, and I was doing all the special teams. So I learned every position that I had to. And I was doing well on special teams. And they actually ended up uh, keeping me that year. And that went from one thing to the next and, you know, where we are now. So when did you know, hey, I think this time I may make it? Was there a play? Was there something in a game or a practice where 
it sort of clicked for you or you saw something different from the coaching staff that made you think, hey, man, this this time I think it's going to work. It, it wasn't. See, I'm not looking to read anybody. So, yeah, I, I was I was out of that boat. I've, I've never been a part of that boat. I'm like, all I can do is what I can do. I can't control right. what they're going to do. You know, that was like Coach Coward cut me one time. And uh, yeah, this is another story. So. I made, it was 2003, the beginning of 2003. I made the 53-man roster on Monday. So, you know, you're off on Tuesday. You come in Wednesday, you practice. He cut me Wednesday after practice. Okay? So, they cut me to bring the dude named Eric Flowers. Right? Yeah. I never forget his name because they ended up calling me Joey and Jason. No, it was Joey. It was Peasy. Peasy called me. And he was like, bruh, this dude is having trouble with our warm-up drills, the hip flip <laughs> drills, all this other stuff. And I'm like, bruh, stop calling me, telling me this. Like, I'm like, I'm, I don't even want to hear it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that right there was probably like, like one of the things that just let me know, like, I'm going to have to go out here and do what it is I can do. I can't control what somebody else's thought process is. All I can do is put my best foot forward and put out the best tape I can. Yeah, it really started to click for you in 2005, right? That, that's when you really sort of kicked in as, as, a, as a big part of that defense. So that was the, I think that was the year Peasy ended up getting into a fight. I actually got my first time uh, being able to start. But be honest for you, it kicked in for me in 2004, I think that was the year we went 15 and one. And I was looking at this, this is really what kicked in for me. It was the money. Yeah. So I'm looking at a guy's check. He shows me his check, right? And this is for two weeks. So I'm looking at this check. And in that two weeks, it was like $220,000. And my salary that whole year was $225,000. So he's making in two weeks what you made the entire season. Yes. And I said, you know what? I said, I need to change what I'm doing. I need to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses, go out, whatever it may be. I got to change. I got I to focus in on what it is. I'm like, I got a short period of time to make enough wealth to where I don't have to do anything. I just do what I want to do. And from that point forward, it was the next year, 2005, is when I stopped drinking in season. And I mean, I went all the way down to where I wouldn't even drink the whole year. I wouldn't go out. Um, I would eat, you know, strictly almost keto, you know, trying to stay away from like carbs, like very clean. And, you know, started spending hella money on my body, taking care of my body with, you know, uh, massage, acupuncture, cupping, dry needling, um, IV drips, all that stuff. All those things that you did certainly paid off because right after that is when it really took off for you. So why don't we take a break right here? And when we come back, we'll talk about the evolution of just making it to making your mark in the NFL with James Harrison. Microsoft Teams is helping Priority Bicycles reinvent the way they work. When the pandemic hit, the bike shop had to close their New York City showroom. Now they found a way to reopen by doing virtual visits on Teams. And now the team can meet with two or three times the number of customers they could before, and people from all over the world can visit their showroom. Learn more about their story and others at Microsoft.com slash teams. 
All right, back with James Harrison on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So right before the break, we started talking about how you made the changes in your lifestyle, no drinking, uh, dieting, all that kind of stuff. And it really started to show up on the field. When did you see tangible results of those extreme things you were doing to prepare yourself to play working out on the football field? Just the small things that I started doing in 2005, you know, um, I, I saw that then, you know, when I would get opportunities, spot start here and there. Um, and, you know, in special teams play, you know, I was doing well in, in special teams. And, uh, you know, that led to 2006 where I, you know, I changed some more stuff. And uh, 2007 was probably when I really did the most drastic change where I was, you know, I was working out twice a day. Um, I was eating super clean. I was doing, uh, you know, intravenous IVs uh, once a week. A lot of, I was doing hyperbaric chamber. Uh, I had my own hyperbaric chamber actually. And, you know, things of that nature. If, if, hold on, real, for those that don't know, a hyperbaric chamber is something that is pure oxygen. You basically put yourself in this sort of bubble and it just, the oxygen in there, the oxygen level goes way up and it helps your, your red blood cells and it helps you like recover from injury faster, right? Yes. Yes. I I, w I was in one of them one time. I was on vacation in Spain. I had to try it. And they say, a lot of people fall asleep in here. And, ah, I fell asleep in like two seconds. And I was out yeah. for 45 minutes. And I woke up. It was the greatest feeling in the world. Like, I literally felt better than I've ever felt in my life getting outside of that hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, 45 minutes and, and uh, you know, sleeping in the hyperbaric chamber is, is like three, four hours regular. <laughs> yeah. When all that started going on. And, and then when you became a member of... Uh, the, the Bengals, they held a press conference once and someone asked you about the things that you were doing with your body. And mm -hmm. I remember we were watching, I'm like, this guy's spending like 400 grand or about 200 grand a year, basically on massaging, cupping, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you don't do things halfway. When you go in, you go all in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's with everything that I do really, you know, um, like I said, from, from workouts to, to, to work itself. It's, it's nothing, you know, if, if you're going to do it, you got to do it all out. Um, you know, you don't, you don't have, you don't have, but anything or half ass anything, as they say, um, yeah. my dad, uh, taught me that a long time ago, you know, especially in football. Like I was, man, I had to be 12 and my dad was like, uh, you ain't got no friends on the football field. So, right. so yeah, yeah, they all my friends I said, no, you don't. He said, when practice starts, you ain't got no friends. You can have friends after practice is done. So when that whistle blows and you get on that field, you go out there and you try and smash your teammates. You go out there and you do everything you can to get your job done. After that, after that, after that practice is done, y'all could be friends again. And that's just, you know, that's that's how I approach the game from that point on. You've carried that lesson onto your sons because there was, a, I think it was an Instagram post that you put up there. Like everybody in your son's uh, Pee Wee football league got a trophy. And that's why I brought the participation trophy. You were like, yeah, it was, no, no, uh, it don't work that way. No, nah, it was, it was a, uh, something with, uh, with track actually. It was actually from, uh, something with, uh, one of my friends organizations, but you know, I'm like, they don't get a trophy. You know, my kids aren't, you know, they aren't, no slouches, but they didn't earn a trophy that year. They they did not. They didn't come. Them boys didn't even come in fourth or fifth place. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so <laughs> my, my my thing was, uh, and you know, people think I'm mean. Like I'm like I'm not mean. I'm like, if it's something that you want, like you don't want to sit there and get it because you whined and cried until they gave you something. 
You know, when you go out there and you, you, you win a game, that good feeling of winning that game should be there to motivate you when you go to work out. When you go and you lose a game, you lose a championship, remember that feeling. Use that feeling to motivate you. Like, hold on to that. That's what I would do. Like, anything that didn't go the way I wanted it to go, I put that in my memory bank and I store that feeling. So when I needed it, when I was trying to do an extra squat, when I was trying to do an extra bench, extra sprint, whatever it may be, I use that as my motivation. And that's just what I'm trying to, you know, instill it to my kids. Like, nothing's going to be given to you. Like, and especially, like, growing up, the way they're going to have to grow up, it's not like, for me, being black was it was it was tough because you didn't you didn't get all the breaks that you should. And for my kids, the things that I want them to understand is I'm like you're biracial. You're going to have black people that are not going to like you because you're part white, and you're going to have white people that's not going to like you because you're part black. You have it double bad because you don't have a whole fence to sit on. <laughs> yeah, you know. So you know, just be ready to earn everything that you get and let your failures motivate you to be able to go out there and try harder and want to do better. And has that resonated with them? I mean, I'm sure at oh, first they're like, dad, why are you taking away my trophy? But I, I, has no, it worn no, into them over no, time? That's, no, that's something it's, uh, that's been off the rip. You're not going to get anything that you don't deserve. My kids are privileged because of the position I have. My kids are not spoiled. And that's the thing I'll be trying to tell people, the difference between being privileged and being spoiled, okay? A person that is spoiled gets something that they don't deserve. That's like a child that is 27 years old, and he's still living off mommy and daddy, and he's not doing anything for himself. That's spoiled. Or a child that doesn't listen, doesn't take care of the responsibilities, and you still give them everything that they want. That's spoiled. Now, a child that does everything they're supposed to do, and you get them what they want because you have the means to, that's something totally different. So with that as a backdrop and that lesson that your father taught you and you taught to your, your kids, what did it mean for you when in 2008, a kid that was cut five times, had high, uh, scholarships rescinded in high school, had to walk on at Kent State in the MAC, was named the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year? You know, it, was, it meant everything that he was teaching me uh, it, it panned out. And, you know, once you put it in play and, and, and uh, into action and you put in that real effort and, uh, you know, it, it, it panned out. Um, other than that, to be honest with you, I didn't even really look at it as such, you know, a big thing as, you know, I guess what it turned out to be. And uh, I guess what it is, I was just like, all right, on to the next year. <laughs> you know, I gotta, I gotta try and improve on, you know, this year so that, you know, we can hopefully get another Super Bowl next year. The defensive player of the year was, it was great, but the Super Bowl was the best. I was about to say, no, no wonder you went to Bill Belichick to finish uh, your career. On to the, we're, we're on to the next game. <laughs> that, is, that is the most Belichickian uh, phrase of all time. But that first Super Bowl came, the first two Super Bowls that, that you won, Super Bowl 40, Super Bowl 43, came with the Steelers. So if the, if, if the defensive player of the year award wasn't the pinnacle for you, I'm assuming, hey, hosting that, hosting that Lombardi trophy was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, 2000, uh, I think it was 2005 we got our first one. And it was uh, it was good, but you know you always want to be you know a bigger play a bigger role a bigger part in it. And it was you know more special teams spots starting here and there. And I was like you know I want another one. You know? Yeah. But you know this time I want to have a you know I want to be a starter be have a more significant role in it. So um, that's how I, you know I approached it. And you know that was I guess it was meant to be so to speak. Yeah. You know? 
Well, you certainly had a bigger role in Super Bowl 43. Uh, you yeah. had a play that changed the game right before the half. Uh, Kurt Warner and the Cardinals are down there looking like they're going to score. Right, I mean, there's, what, 20, 30 seconds left in the first half, and he throws a little out, and you jump the route, and it took a while, but you, yeah. you, took, yeah. you took it all the way back to was, the end it zone. Was, it, was, it was about 18 seconds. It was about 18 <laughs> seconds left. We had to do a lot of weaving in and out of traffic to get there. So, yeah. you know, that was actually something that we had been doing all week in practice. You know, even uh, leading up to that, you know, if anybody got an interception, no matter where we were on the field or a turnover, we would run all the way back. We don't care if we were at the 10 and had to run all the way to the other, you know, side and we come back and get ready for the next play. But that was something that we focused on. And, you know, it was really in part because of the numbers that, you know, uh, Coastal Boys gave us gave us about, you know, what your chances of winning are if you actually are able to score a defensive touchdown. So, yeah. um, you know, that like I said, that wasn't that that wasn't just me. That was that was ten other guys. You know, you got guys throwing blocks, some guys throwing two blocks, um, and you know, escorting me all the way down the field. So that that that's that's two thousand eight. You know, Pittsburgh Steelers defensive play. Well, Ryan Clark told me a great story about that because yeah, you know. It, like you said, it took a while to get down there and get there and score. And then he ran to pick you up. And he said, he said, you told him, Hey man, I'm tired. Let me sit here for a minute. I just ran a long way. I was, I was, I was telling him, I'm like, yo, I'm tired. I'm like, and my neck hurt. So get somebody. Here. <laughs> so when I landed, I like literally like landed like on my neck, like straight on my, and it, uh, it cracked. So as I went to throw out the like touchdown, it cracked again. I'm like, uh. So he came over. He was like, I said, dog, I'm tired. I said, but my neck hurt too, man. Called. <laughs> Did you think you were going to make it? Or were you afraid you were going to run out of gas at like the four? So, so to be honest with you, when I first caught the ball, I was like, I'm gone. Ain't nobody catching me. It's touchdown. But I'm like hand fighting with Deshae. I'm like, no, you ain't getting the ball. Go block somebody. And as I looked up after that, which felt like I was hand fighting with him for like 10 seconds. Yeah. I looked up and it was just a sea of red. I'm like, oh, snap, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> so we're running and uh, I think Shea blocks Kurt and I stumble like through, I think a tight end or something hit Ike in the back, which pushed me through. So as I push through, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm about to make it. So I'm running and I look to the side and I see, uh, I think it's the running back. And I think Woodley... Willie ends up uh, blocking him. So as I see the running back, I'm like, damn, I ain't going to make it. But then I see Woodley come up and block him. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I'm like, I got it. So I jump over Woodley. And as I go to, like, look to see where everybody else is at, I see another lineman. I'm like, oh, my God, where's these dudes coming from? So I started veering towards the sideline to try and get away from me. And as he dives, I kick my legs up. And at that point, I'm like, I got to make it. I'm like, Clock got to be dead right now. There's no way it's any time left on the clock. So I can't like try and run out or hope for nothing else. And um, I think Fitz ends up coming in from out of bounds. And uh, he went to swipe at the ball, but he missed. He hit my chest and it gave me time to cover the ball. If he had better aim and it hit the ball, it would have came out because I was literally carrying it like a local blur, like straight up yeah. and down like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would have came out. He could have been a hero. 
You know what I love about that play too? And up until Tom Brady sort of rewrote the record book, that's the longest play from scrimmage in Super Bowl history by an undrafted player. Uh, Jake DeLome has the longest touchdown pass in Super Bowl history by an undrafted player. The longest running play in Super Bowl history was in Super Bowl 40 by Fast Willie Parker, also undrafted player. And Kurt Warner had the most passing yards in a Super Bowl until Tom Brady passed him, undrafted player. It's it's what it says to me is that the idea of the draft is not something that will define you because all the some of the greatest moments in Super Bowl history were all done by guys who weren't picked in that draft and they still went on to have amazing careers. I think now though, not being drafted is going to be a hard thing because of the way they're trying to change how they're doing preseasons. Right. And- they're going to shorten them, you know, you're going to want to put in your, your draft choice to see what it is that you got, you know, they're going to get the majority of the playing time, especially if you knock it down to two games. Um, I think it'll be very hard to see even an undrafted player that, you know, makes, you know, rosters on the regular now, you know, if they get to the point where they only have two preseason, two uh, preseason games, because you're going to want to see what your draft choices can do in those two games. Plus, let your current guys you have, you know, be able to get in, you know, some play time before they get into where they're actually, you know, shooting through a whole season. I think now you're, you're actually seeing it now, like especially with guys getting injured, where right. they haven't had the time to go out there and exert those types of forces on their body. And now you got a lot of guys that are pulling, you know, soft tissue injuries. You know, that's just from not being able to go out there and get repeated use of being able to hit it 100 miles an hour you know, taking those hits, taking those cuts. I think this season proved to the NFL and a lot of the players that, hey, man, maybe we don't need all those off-season activities and uh, all those workouts because the level of football was pretty good this year without all that stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, see how I, that goes I, forward. I, 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 I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little six in one hand, half a dozen in the other because if they yeah. had those activities, they would have got that force. They would have got some of that wear, that, some of that, 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 you know, that they needed so that they weren't pulling all these. You got a lot of guys, non-contact ACLs, things like that. Why? Yep. Well, they weren't exerting those kind of forces on their bodies in practice or didn't have the opportunity to do that because they didn't have those activities. So now you're going out here from not being able to do that for the last who knows how many months and probably not doing it in practice because nobody goes 100 in practice. So now you're all of a sudden in a game and you're exerting those forces and your body's like, what are you doing? No, you're right. And I've said this along. The only way to practice for football is to play football. And and yes. that's something that's that's being sort of, like you said, a six to one, half dozen of the other because you're getting those injuries. But maybe by that less wear and tear, we're seeing longer careers. So you, there really are two ways to sort of that you're trying to deal with that. But you still work out now almost the exact same way you did when you played, right? I mean, your I'm workouts less, are legendary. I'm less, I'm less intense. I don't do as much. Um, I may do... Uh, the same amount or uh, close to like as far as amount of weight, but the duration and the intensity of them is totally different. I don't have to be able to go out there and, you know, do 14 snaps in a row. I don't have to do conditioning. I don't have to do, you know, sprints. You know, it's just a meandering walk at three, four miles an hour, you know, from six to 12 incline. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, the stuff you used to put on Instagram with the chains, I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you still killing yourself like this? I mean, t- take, give yourself a pat on the back and take a day, man. My biggest fear is becoming fat. 
Yeah. So everything that I do is so that hopefully I'm never, I'm never fat. So everyone's like, how can you do this? How would motivate you? My fear of being fat is my motivation. Plus, I got two boys. And at some point in time, they go get between that 15 to 17 range and they go feel like they want to try dad out. Yeah. Dad go have to put them through a wall. Call yeah. the contractor, tell him come fix the wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, having lived through that experience, I know it. My, my son, right when he turned 15 and started to look a little different, all of a sudden the tone changed a little in the house and uh, we, we had established some rules of order. So believe me, I, I've lived through the experience. It ain't great, but on the other side of it, it's tremendous. That much I can promise. Speaking on the other side of it, you're on the other side of your playing days. Tell me what, uh, what you're involved with now, what we got coming up with you. Well, I have Debo gear, which is my clothing line, workout clothing line. I have uh, Optimum, which is my supplement lineup. So it's all natural. Everything is, uh, you know, tested for our purity. There's no banned substances. So anybody that, you know, wants to take it, whether it's college or pro, don't have to worry about filling the drug test or anything. It's the same supplements that I actually been taking for almost the last 11 years. And, um, but right now I'm actually in Atlanta and I'm filming a new series called heels that will be on the stars so we'll wrap in uh april and hopefully get a get a date of when that'll uh come out what's the series about it's about a small town pro wrestling or uh well organization it's a family it's family owned and it's about the things they're going through trying to get it into the you know the big leagues it's with, uh Stephen Neal, uh Stephen Neal, andrew ludwig um chris Boer, uh and uh, Mary McCormick actually is on there too. Oh, really? Now, now yeah. how much fun is this kind of stuff for you? Because I would imagine when you were doing all your workouts and playing, you're like, that wasn't something that you thought you would ever do, but it feels like you're sort of branching out into totally different areas in your post-playing career. To be honest with you, it was like something that I would have never thought I would do young when I was, yeah. when I was you know, younger, because I hated talking to media. Like yeah. I would literally like run away. I'm like, I'm not in the locker room. You know how they had immediate time. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not in the locker room then. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do something. Just, you know, I was just nervous to talk. I, I think that's what uh, more of it was. And once I got over that, um, I just started looking at like action, like action movies and stuff with like, it was like Fast and the Furious and all that. I'm like, man, I could do what they doing. And I think I could do it better. <laughs> so I ended up uh, meeting, uh, meeting a few people. I did an independent film, actually back in like 2016, I did one of those. It was actually right before we played Kansas City. Uh, <laughs> so I couldn't tell nobody because I was like there, like we played Kansas City, that playoff game in uh 16 i think we played them on either a saturday or sunday and i was it there was a saturday like, yeah i was there on like a thursday night shooting something <laughs> oh, no <laughs> yeah <laughs> well listen uh it's okay now but uh if that had come out back in the day that would have that might not have gone so great <laughs> It's all that matters, right? That's all that matters. Right. That's why yeah. I'm like, I was coming in and I'm telling uh, you know, the producer, I'm like, hey, you can't tell nobody I was here. Yeah. We, can't, we can't, we can't let that slip out. Like, I, I can't take no pictures, no. <laughs> so I did my, you know, I was only there for maybe two and a half hours. Did you know? Did my little part. I was a, I think I was like a patient in that one. So that was my first taste of it. 
And then a um, year after that, I did uh, SWAT. And then now this is the biggest course that I've ever had as a series regular. So, well, that's very cool. Uh, and I always like to see people that did very well find something post career that they enjoy. So, uh, continued success along those lines. And listen, it's still here. I can mail it to you, your participation trophy for being a part of this interview. If you want, oh, just that, let me know. That's okay. That's okay. okay. I, I, I'll wait till I, I got enough of them at my house. So, they ain't participation trophies. I actually earned them. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> Thought I'd give it a shot. Always good to talk to you, James. I appreciate your time and best of luck going forward, okay? Thank you. 